deal with it. So perhaps we could just, uh, because there has been a, a, s a small accident, if we could just send Meta to the person who had it, just for a moment. This is from uh, Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who is a Tibetan uh, Lama. There are times to cultivate and create when you nurture your world and give birth to new ideas and ventures. There are times of flourishing and abundance when life feels in full bloom, energized and expanding. And there are times of fruition when things come to an end. They have reached their climax and must be harvested before they begin to fade. And finally, of course, there are times that are cold and cutting and empty. Times when the spring of new beginnings seem, seems like a distant dream. Those rhythms in life are natural events. They weave into one another as day follows night, bringing not messages of hope and fear, but messages of how things are. So that's a variation on the Ecclesiastes theme. You know, a time to be born and a time to die. So tonight is our last night together. And I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about uh, metta in the world or metta in our daily lives. But just to um, remind us that they're not different. It's not as if we are moving from this to that or from... Uh, from polarity to polarity, we're actually just moving through the phases of our lives. As Martin Luther King said, perhaps a new spirit is rising among us. If it is, let us trace its movement and pray that our own inner being may be sensitive to its guidance, 
for we are deeply in need of a new way beyond the darkness that seems so close around us. We are in difficult times indeed, and so what you have done here has been, as Sharon said a few times on the retreat, has been revolutionary. You've been cultivating love in your hearts, and that is indeed a very, very revolutionary act. So congratulations for all of your hard work. I thank you, and the world thanks you, because we are not separate. What you do matters to me and matters to all of humanity, because what you are and what you do uh, makes a difference. So you're shining beacons of light. You may not uh, know it. You may not notice it, even if you don't feel it. One of the mysteries of being human is that we don't see our own radiance, but it's actually there. is from George Bernard Shaw. He said, this is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, so the harder I work, the more I live. Life is no brief candle to me. It is rather a splendid torch I have hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. And in a way, that is what you've been doing. You've been uh, cultivating your bright torch of a light. You may not see your own radiance, but it's there. So we're ending the retreat tomorrow, and you're entering the, well, the big retreat, right? <laughs> because life is really intensive practice, you may have noticed. So you're going back into a world which is a mix of beauty and sorrow and love and hate and all of those uh, ways that the human heart has. But, you know, samsara is nirvana. It, they're not separate. The sacred is profane is the profane, and every day is holy. There's a Chan nun called Zhang Nuo, and she said, everything is in the ordinary affairs of the everyday world, so that we are transcendent in all of our tasks, whether we're mothering, or we're lawyering, or we're doctors, or health workers, or teachers, 
social workers, whatever we do, it's sacred work. None, nothing is really uh, separate from our sacred heart. Our hearts feel the great suffering of the world. They feel, they feel it. And the more we open, the more we feel the suffering. So the question is, how do we bridge metta? How do we bring, bring it into our lives in a way that's not separate from our retreat? The same Buddhist nun, uh, Jingnuo, said, if you bring to everything an illumined mind, you won't get lost. So it's not as if you've worked hard this week and you've done what you needed to do to see what you needed, what you saw. And then you leave here and you won't be changed. You won't be affected by this experience. You have been deeply affected by this experience, whether you were critical of yourself and uh, thought that perhaps you weren't doing it right or you weren't getting, you know, the bright light in the mind and the sound and light show and, you know, the whole uh, enchilada, as I like to say. Uh, whether, you, uh, whether you felt those uh, blissful moments or it was a difficult week, because some of our retreats can be incredibly difficult. And it doesn't mean that you did it wrong or that you got nothing from it. As a matter of fact, um, there, I've noticed that the retreats where I've had a much more difficult time are the retreats that over time have shown me much more than those retreats where things seem to be just sort of swimming along and life was great. So for until you've been away from the retreat for quite a while, you probably won't really understand the depth of what you've done and how, you, how it has affected you. So it's, um, it's helpful to try not to judge it, to try not to um, decide. That must have been an emphasis on what I was saying. <laughs> Listen really carefully to this one. <laughs> Don't judge it. <laughs> so let the let the retreat uh, unfold over time, and you will see what um, what miracles it really produce produces in your life. So metta, our practice here, as I said, is uh, radical because it transforms uh, the force of hatred and envy and fear and greed in our, in our hearts. We're cultivating probably what is the world's most powerful force when we cultivate love, when we cultivate loving kindness. And the point 
you know, in, in a way is not to become great meditators. And if you, if you reflect and you uh, think about it, you'll see that Buddhism or Dharma is not about a place or an organization or a building, but Dharma is in your heart. So it's not about uh, becoming a good meditator or learning, as you remember from my talk way back when, Ajahn Sumedho saying, you know, you're not learning the Majjhimika and the Prajnaparamita and Hinayana and Vajrayana and Mahayana and knowing all the difference among all of those. That's not it. What is it is the loving kindness that has been born and birthed here and has been cultivated and has grown in your heart. And that's what the world needs. That's what it needs. It's love, compassion. And metta in the world is not so much practice as it is intention. And that, and what I mean by that is not that we don't practice, but that actually, as Sharon spoke about um, earlier in the week, that what we create when we practice is a field of intention. So we've learned how to, um, how to work with the, um, the bringing forth of the bhavana that we, we talked about, the bringing forth uh, of um, the feeling of metta and the wishes for, of well-being for ourselves and for people in our lives and for people that we don't know, people all everywhere, beings everywhere. We know how to do that now, but actually what we've been learning is not so much that as an intention. And in the beginning of the, the week, we talked about um, bodhicitta, the awakened mind and heart. And in addition to it being uh, literally translated as the uh, heart-mind of awakening or the awakened heart, it's expressed also as a motivation that we can nurture and cultivate, that we practice and live our lives for the benefit, the welfare, the happiness, and the awakening of all beings. And we can have this aspiration to cultivate uh, bodhicitta. And as we do, it works a wonderful transformation in our lives. But how do we actually do it? How do we actually live our lives in that way? What does it mean to say that we're practicing for all beings? 
because it's not really clear or obvious, is it? We're sitting here and uh, bringing people to mind and saying some phrases that signify well wishes of well-being for them. So how does it actually happen? How does it connect to uh, all beings in the world? And it happens in a couple of ways. First, because the more we understand our own minds, our own hearts, and the more, the more we delve into what this mind, this heart, this body is about, the more we do that, the more we see that actually we're not only understanding ourselves, but we're understanding every being. That we're not disconnected, we're not separate from, but we're very much connected to all beings. And one of the amazing things in practice is that although we begin to see that we have individual stories, perhaps there are sadnesses in our lives that feel as if this never happened to anyone else. Perhaps we've suffered abandonment or abuse, pain. Some of us endure unspeakable pain in our lives. And although these individual stories may be quite different, and we have maybe different backgrounds, different upbringing, different education, different stories, underneath all of these stories, the nature of phenomena, the nature of who we are is exactly the same. We're sitting here with a pain in the knee. It doesn't matter if we're um, from China or Africa or Europe or America or Canada or Thailand or Tibet, whatever. The experience of pain is exactly the same. Maybe weaker pain or stronger pain, but it's pain, and we all are subject to it. So when we understand the nature of anger, uh, the nature of fear, the nature of love and compassion, it's the same in all of our minds, in all of our hearts, and that's why we can speak to each other and understand what we're saying. Because our experience, the nature of our experience is the same. And so the more deeply we understand ourselves, the more deeply we understand uh, the race to which we belong, and that is the human race. And the realization of this commonality gives rise to compassion. And it's a great compassion for the suffering of others because we understand the suffering in ourselves. And we understand compassion, as, as Sharon has been, uh, and, and Mark said, not as um, its near enemy pity, but act. And the difference with that is that when we understand that we're all subject to it, that I'm not here looking at your suffering over there, thinking, oh, you poor thing, I'm not subject to that. But that we actually know we're all in this soup together. 
And so we understand the potential for freedom in every being. Because as we practice, we begin to understand the potential for freedom in ourselves. And so we're increasingly feeling this deep connection. Not because we're inventing it, because it's always been there, but our eyes are becoming clearer, our vision. And the second has to do with our transformation in the world, how we are. Because if we are more loving, more peaceful, less judgmental, less selfish, what happens? So is the world. Whatever we contribute to the world, it becomes more so. So if we're contributing love and peace and equanimity and compassion and mudita, then the world has that much more metta, compassion, mudita, equanimity. And so there's no uh, way that how we are doesn't affect every single being around us. And we see that in the lives of people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King, that how they were, Mother Teresa, how they were in the world affected the entire world. The world will never, ever, ever, ever be the same because of who they were. And how we are in the world, in the same way, has inevitably tremendous consequences. And so when we realize this, we remember that we're not practicing for ourselves alone, but for all beings, for the benefit of every single being. And this is how things are. They're interconnected. And so when we make this uh, understanding the basis or the um, conscious um, motivation for our practice, it gives uh, amazing energy to what we do. So John Kabat-Zinn wrote a book called Wherever We Go, There We Are. And I'd like to just expand that a bit and say, wherever we are, there goes our heart. And our heart carries within it uh, the deep potential uh, to love and to connect. And this practice that you've been doing has sown deep, deep seeds of kindness. So trust in those seeds. 
you've seen certain qualities emerge in the mind and in the heart just by, isn't it amazing? We sit and the instructions are really quite simple when you think about it. You know, we may complicate them, right? What? Uh, what phrases I'm supposed to do? What? Can I do it this way? Is it really that simple? Yeah, it really is simple. Four very simple phrases. And what happens? All of these qualities emerge in the mind. Patience. If you haven't been uh, cultivating patience in order to do your practice, I don't know what's happened. And in a way, you know, it's the antidote to aggression, patience. So I've heard from so many of you in the interviews that you've seen over the days how um, aggressive you are with yourselves. We do that. We're simply meditating. And look at what comes up. All of this um, awareness comes up of how we actually are not only on this cushion, but actually it begins to show us how we are every day of our lives with ourselves. So we've cultivated this quality of patience because we had to, right? Every time the mind strayed and we brought it back, what were we doing? We were actually teaching ourselves patience every single time. And if you added gentleness and kindness to that bringing back and you let go of the the habit momentum of the mind to criticize yourself or to judge yourself or to um, uh, scold yourself, every time you let go of that habit or that desire or that um, reactive um, habit in the mind, Every time you did that, you cultivated just a little bit more patience. And there was clarity. Each of you who came in to speak to us had some degree of clarity that was emerging uh, more and more as as you sat here doing the practice to whatever degree was possible for you. And wisdom came. Sharon talked last night about the quality of equanimity, that ability to be balanced in the midst of all things, the storms that come in the mind and in life. And you developed it. You developed it beautifully as the storms of the mind came and tried to knock you over. Sometimes they actually succeeded, but every time you got up, metaphorically that is, and started again, that muscle of equanimity was building. And you can develop that equanimity in life, in the face of opposition, in the face of oppression, in the face of conflict. Because once we develop equanimity, once we develop 
any of these qualities, whether it's metta, uh, compassion, mudita, or equanimity, once you develop it, regardless of the circumstances that uh, helped you to develop it, you've now developed it. And so it's possible to be um, that the, these quali- so these qualities are not um, uh, dispensable, or you're not going to leave them here at uh, IMS. We don't have a, a dump for the uh, you know the qualities that we develop in in a retreat. We actually um, generously offer you the opportunity to take them with you. So generosity is um, another quality that begins to, uh, that muscle begins to to get stronger and stronger as we develop loving kindness. And that's one of the ways in which it actually will manifest in the world for you. You cannot be kind and not be generous. It's impossible. So that as you, uh, as you develop this quality of loving kindness, the heart begins to open. And when the heart opens, we're no longer seeing ourselves as deficient and um, needing to hoard either our own goodness whether it's uh, material or spiritual. But we begin to understand that as we give it away, the the glass refills itself. That the heart, the, the, the heart of kindness is a heart that is open and has confidence. And when we have confidence, we're no longer uh, trapped in the small body. So you can trust in those seeds that you have been planting. And what is um, what helps seeds to grow and flower and blossom is watering and nurturing and allowing sunshine to enter into the earth, that uh, planting those seeds in a place that gets light. And you can trust in your own innate goodness and that loving heart. So even, again, if you, um, if you think that She's talking about everybody else, but <laughs> didn't happen to me. You know, I just had a really hard time. <laughs> it's not true, you know, because again, we're all connected. So, in some ways, we moved together as a as a community even if sometimes somebody was stepping on your cushion and you didn't feel very communal about it. We were a community. We still are. And we have uh, 
beauty in our hearts because we've been that's the work we've been doing all week. As Thomas Merton said, then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach. The core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time, there would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. So we are all connected. And this love that we have been, this loving kindness, this love that we've been cultivating is your birthright. You haven't brought it from somewhere else. You haven't come here to get it. You actually brought it with you. It was not something that... uh, wasn't part of who you were when you came in. You've simply removed the barriers to its recognition. This is from Nisargadatta Maharaj, who's an Indian saint of the 20th century. He said, when you know beyond all doubting that the same life flows through all that is and you are that life, you will love all naturally and spontaneously. When you realize the depth and fullness of your love of yourself, you know that every living being in the entire universe are included in your affection. But when you look at anything as separate from you, you cannot love it for you are afraid of it. Alienation causes fear, and fear deepens alienation. It is a vicious circle. Only self-realization can break it. Go for it, resolutely. So this loving kindness that has bloomed even more than at the beginning of the week manifests itself naturally in the world. Love comes really naturally. It's like the love of a mother for her child. And how we are in the world, how we manifest it in the world, is just as natural. If someone falls down, we naturally pick them up. How we are with each other means that if we, if someone is suffering, we feel compassion. We reach out. It's not something that we have to manufacture or that we have to fabricate. What it, all it requires is our willingness 
to lend our presence. And presence has been cultivated here every time you um, had an unpleasant experience that you were willing to sit with, that you managed to have some interest, that you managed to simply know had arrived without taking the bait of adding aversion or wishing it away. Every single time you did that, you were cultivating compassion. You were cultivating the ability to stand your ground and to be present for suffering. And there are so many ways in which we can uh, see suffering, work with suffering, and uh, cultivate the compassionate heart. In the Babemba tribe of South Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he is placed in the center of the village alone and unfettered. All work ceases, and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one, one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. That's a little different than our system. I won't get into that. I promise you. So I'd like to just talk a little bit about um, your own practice with metta and to just um, accept that even though, you know, um, we've been so intensively practicing here as you go out into the world. You'll forget it. I'm sorry to say that from time to time we will forget that this is a quality that we have that's available to us. And just as with mindfulness we can forget it's the same with metta, that we can just space out for hours. You noticed already? So the strength of metta will come and go just like it comes and goes on retreat. There'll be times when metta feels like it's a million miles away. 
but it takes only a moment to reconnect. We can reconnect with that loving heart and with the intention for wishing well. The good news about it is that it's portable and it's accessible. That once it's in your heart, it may get a little bit hidden, but you never lose it. And it doesn't take hours to cultivate a particular state. Simply, you can simply re, uh, reconnect with a wish to um, reestablish your intention. You simply align your energy behind the intention with a phrase that expresses love. So if you're um, practicing for the welfare of all, if you understand that deeply, that intention of metta to express love in uh, all of your affairs, whether it's in your family or in your work or um, just in traffic, right? So if you're sitting in traffic, can you actually just let that compassion arise for the fact that you're all suffering? Can you actually, um, while you're there, rather than waste your time, just wish that everyone gets there safely, wherever they're going? And that you can um, remember that this is available to you. It's like Tulku Ergin Rinpoche, we're talking about mindfulness, said mindfulness is easy to do, it's just difficult to remember. So the metta practice is the same. So each time we respond to a situation in our lives with metta, we're sowing more seeds of an opportunity to remember, of the opportunity to remember. And you can do stealth metta in life, right? So no need to sort of sit down and assume the posture, right? But you can act and, or have, you know, your, say, well, I wish I could do metta, but I don't have my cushion, <laughs> right? Because we, it really, it's beautiful. It doesn't need anything. It doesn't, it only needs that turning to and that intention to uh, actually be present with love. It's the simple well-wishing for the welfare of others. So whether you're in a meeting, you're on a bus, you're on a train, you're in traffic, you're walking on the street, you're listening to the news and hearing of all of the wars and famine and all of the ways in which we treat each other cruelly. As we listen, we can send metta to all of those places in the world. There's no, there are no barriers to it. It just simply takes one moment of recollection to remember we're all in this together, that it's a shared humanity, that even though we are living in a world that we share with um, racism and prejudice and homophobia and uh, 
and policies of our government that we don't agree with, and all of the ways in which we um, contribute to each other's suffering. In just one moment, we can transform our hearts when we remember the intention to wish well rather than the intention to harm. Because this uh, fact of interconnectedness asks us to, be, to respond to the needs of others, to take care. And we understand that taking care of others is inextricably woven with taking care of ourselves, honoring that interconnection. It takes very, very little to reach out from the sense of busyness, the sense of self-importance and fear. You know, these days when we um, have to call the tech, the tech, tech help for our computer, or we're incensed because the bank is, um, you know, charging us fees that it shouldn't be charging us, and we get on the telephone, right? Oh, boy, here it comes. And um, we're, we, get, we never get a human being anymore, right? We get a machine and it directs us, and we have to put in our um, account number 17 times and our telephone number four times and all of that, you know. And you can feel the frustration starting to burn so that by the time you do get that human being that has a distinctly foreign accent... Instead of, you know, just losing it, you could say, ah, where are you? And when they say India, ask, how's the weather? And just that way of being with the other human being, that disembodied voice on the other end of the phone is a human being, that we can actually simply establish our human connection all over again, every single time. So we practice um, when it's easy, really to prepare ourselves for the difficult times, because we can't start practicing, you know, when it gets hard. So when you come to a retreat like this, in relatively, um, not relatively, absolutely, beautiful, benign conditions that support your practice. It really is an incredible blessing because it's preparing you for those times when you won't have the time to slowly develop the sense of caring and love in your heart. I'm always impressed by... um, the Tibetan monks and nuns who emerge from uh, prisons and are grateful to the people who jailed them because they teach them compassion. Can you imagine, you know, trying to develop that just 
when you um, hit the prison, that if there hadn't been some way of developing the heart of compassion before that kind of terrible ordeal, how would it be possible? How would it be possible if you didn't know that this kind of response is even vaguely available to you? And sometimes we get confused or stuck with metta um, because we don't know where to start because we think it has to be some big thing. But you know, just a small, um, simple act of kindness, considerateness, goes a very, very long way. It changes the world. It's Mother Teresa when she was asked how she accomplished such amazing things, she said, I picked up one body at a time. I helped one person at a time. You can only do small things, but you can do them with great love. How amazing. So it's often just doing precisely what's in front of you. And what else can we do anyway? We can't do anything in the future. It hasn't arrived. We can simply be right where we are and be so alert and aware and um, recognizing all of the opportunities that we, opportunities that we have for uh, loving kindness. If, we are, if, if our minds are, and our hearts are inclined towards kindness, then we won't miss the opportunities. So metta, this generosity of the heart, can't stop itself from sharing love. And it's contagious. When we actually do it, other people pick up. It's like a bug, right? Other people pick it up. And so that's also why it's good to hang out with other people who are what I call um, meta-beings. So think just for a moment where metta is most needed in your life. Just close your eyes for one moment or so and just reflect, where is metta needed in my life? And perhaps you realize that the first place that it's needed is toward yourself, remembering your own goodness. To learn how to be loving and forgiving of your own humanness. To take care of your own body, your own health. Notice where you take on too much, where you do too much where you overwork or you push your body or you don't listen to your own limits and you forget to rest. A colleague of ours says it's better to do nothing than to waste your time. (laughs) 
so we can listen to our own hearts and bodies. And part of our loving kindness is knowing just what to do by simply learning the art of listening, of receiving, giving our presence in such a um, uh, complete way that our listening is deep. Just as you were um, instructed to listen deeply today, to learn how to be in your own body and actually listen really quite deeply. This is a gift that um, is whose value is inestimable in our world. Very few people really listen with that kind of acuity. And do more of what you love so that you gladden the heart. Stop postponing those things that really give you joy. And sometimes, metta is all you have to offer. Someone is in distress, and there's a compassionate response, and there's nothing that you can do. And so all you can offer is understanding. That's lovely too. It's not that metta has to look a certain way where we're going out to rescue or um, making things better. Our metta is enough. And sometimes it's the only thing that makes sense anymore, as Naomi Shihab Nye said bringing love into the world. And to understand about dukkha, that it's hard to be human. Things don't have to be perfect. Things will not be perfect. They can't be perfect because we're human. We see that life is so difficult that in some ways we don't have an option. The only option we really have with this terribly difficult life is kindness. And we never know what someone else's burden is. But it takes the ability to not be so wrapped up in ourselves and to actually see what another human being needs this gift of equanimity that uh, Sharon talked about last night is a gift that we can bring because when we are able to be even and balanced in the midst of the storm of life, we bring that kind of stability to the situation and we help whoever is in distress. So metta in the world is a generosity of heart. We bring service. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. And if you want to be happy, practice compassion. 
So you'll be going home, many of you, to families. So what's the metaphor way of working with being with your families? To share all of your insights about your family to your family <laughs> is not meta. A yogi yesterday told me that she wanted to tell everybody what she had seen. And I thought, oh, maybe you could just listen and, um, you know, be interested in how they were while you were away. That might be an interesting way of, or of showing them what you had learned. And you probably don't need to teach your family metta. You can teach them by example, especially your kids. Close relationships are always challenging. We know that the near enemy of metta is attached love, and that usually means that we want them to be a certain way. So just remember your metta intention to love, appreciate, and accept them as they are with all of their faults, which are probably not changed in this week. And you will forget that, what I just said. (laughs) So be a little kind with their limitations and yours. And remember the supports for metta. Remember the goodness that everyone wants. Everybody is trying to be happy, no matter how they behave. And if you look at your own actions, you'll be easy to see It will be easy for you to see how blind we can be. So when you encounter blindness, remember your own. You can practice appreciative joy, remembering to celebrate the joys of others and that it doesn't need to diminish your own. And gratitude, appreciation of what we already have and all the things that Everybody does for us everywhere. Sharon last night was talking about um, how, you know, we, interconnection is everywhere. Just the what it takes to support us here, all of the people who bring the food, who cook it, who choose it, who plan the menus, who serve it. Just this gratitude can be a practice that you actually develop and um, continue. So you're way more sensitive and open and loving than you know. And you probably got that after you talked a little bit today, I imagine, right? So be really gentle and tender with yourself as to how you re-enter. That just your re-entry can be a meta practice in itself. It's important to go slow and be careful who you share it with, and how you share your experience. Actually, to know that your metta is of service to all beings without your having to tell them. They know it just by being in your 
orbit just by being in your presence. So I wish you a beautiful um, re-entry, which we'll um, talk a little bit more about tomorrow, and that your hearts will stay open and will be of deep, deep service, not only to those who are in your immediate orbit, but all of the beings to whom that... um, Meta will ripple out because we know it surely does. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you. Time for walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.